at this as an opportunity. I'm telling you something right now. Whenever the world starts wringing their hands, for the Christian, this is an opportunity. Everybody is talking about this. Everybody, 24-7, no matter, sports radio I turned on yesterday, I'm saying, I wonder what sports radio was talking about. They're talking about this, because they got nothing else to talk about. So they're talking about this. And this is a time that we are able to, in a non-judgmental, very humble, non-self-righteous way, can share our ultimate hope and trust in a sovereign God. And I'm going to be sending you some pertinent verses and talking points over the next uh, few days that you can inject into conversation because you know what? I guarantee you, you're going to be having dozens of conversations this week. Remember Psalm 112, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. Why? Because we have a long view, not only in this life, but a long view into eternity. See, our center is different. So hang in there, trust God, He is sovereign, and folks, He is still on the throne, I'm telling you right now. He's still on the throne. Well, we're continuing in our series, Lost and Found, and uh, this is the third week that we're talking about it, getting some interesting comments from, from a lot of people. God's touching hearts, and I've, also I think some people are feeling a little uncomfortable. That's okay. Uh, all comes uh, with the territory. And let me just start off by saying this morning that poverty comes in many forms, in many forms. Uh, some people are materially poor. We see that every day. Some are emotionally poor. Many, many, many are spiritually poor. Now, two weeks ago, we started this short series of messages, and we began asking the question, what does the Bible have to say about my personal finances? And we, we, we've been asking some challenging questions. And again, some people are a little uncomfortable. I hope you've been encouraged, too. I think some people have been encouraged also. And I think this whole series, if it does make us a little bit uncomfortable, it's because uh, of this fact. A lot of times, we have our life divvied up into different areas. We have our, uh, our, 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 our spiritual world over here. We pray, we listen to podcasts, we read the Bible, we go to church, we learn, learn some songs, we learn new songs like we did today. Over here is our social world. We got our friends, we got you know Friday nights and neighbors and stuff like that. Over there is our work relationships, the people that we see only in work. And then we have our personal finances, which is way over there. And we kind of separate these different worlds. We compartmentalize our lives. Now, often we live in several different worlds with one often not even impacting the other, or at least enough, at least enough uh, not to get us lost. And that's the title of our, our series. Now, no one ever means to get lost. But in spite of all the assurances and the confidences, sometimes we get lost anyway. That's because, as we have said, even from from week one, uh, you could be self-assured and confident, uh, you know, but that's no insurance about getting lost or getting lost in life. And if you're lost, the chances are good that you're not sure how you got lost and you're really not sure how you're going to find your way back. Now, many of us are lost in the area of finances, but... Being lost doesn't mean we don't, it's, we're not lost because we don't make enough money. 
because most people, and I'm going to talk about this, most people really do. In fact, we're very, very comfortable with what we're making. Uh, but yet, we're, we're filled with doubts and fears and questions. We're not sure if we're saved enough. We wonder why we have so much pressure on us. We're constantly discontented. And it seems like we're always sorry about money. If we're sorry about one thing, it's about money. And as Andy Stanley noted in a book I was reading this week, we, we live a life where our lifestyle chases after our income, which means that no matter how much money we make, we never seem to find peace. And so we experience all of the things I just mentioned, all those bad things. And you know what it is? We're lost. We are lost. Now, it's an area that you would think that uh, is the only area maybe in life that we should never, ever get lost in because we know what's coming in and we know what's going out. We order our money around. We, t- we say to our money, go pay the mortgage. Go buy some groceries. Buy toilet paper. Buy a lot of toilet paper. Go get me a cup of coffee. Go give her her allowance. Go pay that bill. We, we, we have money and we send it to where it's got to go. And yet so many of us are lost and we have no idea how we got in that condition. Now the reason we decided to talk about this for these weeks is because you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and remain lost financially. Because Jesus said so much just so much about the topic of money. And if you're going to follow Jesus, then you have to let him mess with every area of your life, including the area of money. Because he had more to say about money than any other thing uh, he had to say about in the Gospels. And we determined to keep, when we determined to keep Jesus out of our personal finances, we are going to remain lost if we're lost right now. We will never find our way back. Now, in week one, we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. And there Jesus said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The number one competition that God has for your heart is your stuff. It's our things. It's our money. And he categorically stated, you cannot serve God and what? And money. Wherever we send our money, our hearts will follow. If we invest in a stock, our hearts follow after the stock, which a lot of people are very fearful over the last few weeks. If, it's, if our, our money is involved in our business, and you know our, our hearts are going to go there. But as we said before, Jesus is not interested in getting our money. He's interested in capturing our hearts, and our hearts are linked to our money and are linked to our personal finances. Jesus wasn't trying to get people's money. He was trying to keep people's money from getting them. And then last week, we tried to stand way back and determine how God views money. And we decided that God sees our money from a parable that we looked at as three things. He looks at it as a tool. He said, use worldly wealth and leverage it so that the Father can move and bring more people into the kingdom. Use something that's temporary to build something that's eternal. And then he said that it's a test. God is seeing if we can be trusted with a little so that we can be trusted with real riches. And then he said it was a testimony. Because there are a few things that speak louder about where our loyalties and our fidelities lie than how we spend God's money. It's a large part of the testimony of our lives 
and of who we are. Now this week, I want to look at how we view our money, how we view it. And the question that I'm going to ask in just a couple of seconds now is an extraordinarily important question. It's a question that hardly anybody, I would say nobody in their teens, is even thinking about. When you get into your 20s, a couple of people may start thinking about it. Your 30s, here and then, and, and may, you know, not, not, but even not that many. When you get into your 40s, you actually start considering a little bit this question. And the question is the source of a lot of guilt. But listen, I think it may be that, you know, this question, uh, that if we wrestle it, if we really deal with it, if we, if we dissect it, if we chew it up, if we, you know, if we, you know, get it into ourselves, this could be the answer. The answer to this question could be the answer to our lostness if we are lost financially. And I, my prayer is that God may use it to guide us to a better place than we are presently in and here's the question you ready why do you have so much why do you have so much why are you so wealthy why do you have so much extra what why, why do you have so much more than you need we hardly ever ask ourselves that question and the average person i don't think has sat for five minutes you know and, and asked themselves that question What's more, when I say, why do you have more than you need, a lot of people are saying, are you talking to me? Are are you talking to me? You're definitely not talking to me, because if you're talking to me about extra, you don't know who you're talking to, because I don't have a lot of extra. I have a lot of pressure, I don't have a lot of extra. And people who have extra don't feel pressure. Folks, as long as our lifestyle slaps up against our income, we will feel pressure. You will say, I don't have more than I need, but maybe, maybe you do. You know as well as I do that in 95% of the cases, if we would ratchet down our lifestyle just a couple of notches, we would be okay. And we would still be very, very comfortable. We would still have extra. Why do we elevate our lifestyle as our income goes up. Why do we have so much? Now, the culture does not want us to ask that question. Our culture, American culture, does not want us to ask that question. Uh, In fact, they want to ask this question. Why don't I have more? Why don't we have, why don't I have as much as him? Why do I have less than her? Why don't I drive that? Why is mine old and hers is new? How long am I going to have to wait for that? Why is mine square and hers is rectangle? Why don't I have more? See, the world says this. Focus on what you could have, not on what you presently have. Not on what you do. Now listen. Sometimes in our lives, this has been a fair question. I I know we have people in our church, at the Crossing Church, who are really struggling. Marianne and I have, at periods of our life, really, really struggled financially. And many of us have been in a place where we have had true financial need, and you can honestly say, I really have no extra. I remember, you know, way back when, and, and you know, you're just waiting for, for, for the paycheck to pay rent, and then after that, there's just not going to be a whole lot more. Some people have medical problems. You, you have a child that you didn't expect. All of a sudden, the wife cannot work anymore. You had a huge, unexpected bill. You didn't have seemingly what you needed. And yet, listen, 
I am convinced that most of the time, most of us, most of the time, most of us are not in that desperate place. And this morning, I want us to focus on what, not what we don't have, but what we do have. Not potential of what we could have, but what we have right now. And let's wrestle with this question for a few moments. Why do I have more than I need? And look, look at, even if you believe you don't have much, would you just humor me for a couple of minutes? Just for a couple of minutes that we have left. Just, just humor me, and for argument's sake, let's turn it around, and let's ask, you know, God, why do I have so much? Why do I have extra? Why do I have more than I need? This may be the question that turns your financial picture around from a, pr- a place of being lost and confused to a point where your finances make sense for the very first time in your life. This is the right question, I think, for us to ask. As long as we live by the cultural mandate, why don't I have more and what's it going to take to get more, you're going to have an artific- artificial sense of need because our wants have a way of becoming need. Look, I need five minutes, five minutes on a Wednesday night to sit down and talk myself into believing that my want for the car is really a need. I, I, really, I, I, I know myself. It doesn't take me any time at all. And, and after all, the Bible says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. So once I bring it from the category of want into the category of need, well, God, certainly you're going to provide all my needs. You said that. You promised then all of a sudden, we get into the payments, and we get you know, deep into it, and you know what? We shouldn't have been there in the first place, and now we really do have a lot of pressure. We've all been there. We've all been there? Yes, I think we have. Want leads to an artificial sense of need. Wants become needs, and all of a sudden, there's no margin for error, and the pressure builds, and you can't think about anything else except... That you are what? Lost. Then we ask, what? Why don't I feel at peace? Why am I always in trouble? Why am I so discontented? Why am I always in need? Yet for us as Christians, here's the better question. Why do we have more than we need? Now, Jesus asked that question in the form of a parable, a story we're going to look at this morning. Um, If we lived one week asking this question, I think things would turn around for everybody. I I believe that 100%. The answer to this question trickles down into every financial decision we ever make. This is about all of us who have more than we need, especially for those of us who have let our lifestyle chase after our income. So Luke chapter 12, we're looking at Luke chapter 12 that Will just read for us. And in Luke chapter 12... Verse 13, the parable begins, and Jesus says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In other words, someone just died, they left money, and this guy uh, isn't getting his share. He's not getting his take. Verse 14, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Jesus is saying, you know, this is none of my business. What, 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 what am I, you know, financial peace guy? I mean, you know, this is your business. This is your thing. You, you know, you, you figure this out. You, I have nothing to do with this. And then he said in verse 15, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Whoa, whoa, 
<laughs> Wait a minute. Did, did, did Jesus just change the subject? This guy's just trying to get some help and getting his fair share. Why, why are you bringing up greed? Sounds like a politician, isn't it? When, you know, the, the debates, you ask him, you know, so, so uh, you know, what is your view? Can you elaborate on your view on health care in this country? And the candidate goes, that's a very good question. And then they go on for the next five minutes of talking about something that was not even asked, that has nothing to do with health care at all. It almost sounds like Jesus is doing that. Speaking of greed, he says, who said anything about greed? Not, you know, this guy didn't, but listen. By asking the question, Jesus looked into the soul of that man. And he went deeper into him, and he saw what the real problem was. And in this case, with this man, it had nothing to do with unfairness. It had something to do with his view of money. And so Jesus ends up defining greed for us in this parable. What is greed? What is greed? Well, as near as I can tell, it's, it's basically an inordinate love of and desire for earthly possessions an inordinate love and desire for earthly possessions it's amassing more and more and more and more way past the point of reasonable need now if i look at myself if we all look at ourselves we might conclude that it's possible it's possible but you did this much but possible that I may have at some points in my life showed a capacity for being a little over-excessive. But listen, Pastor Tim, if you really want to know what greed is, i got to tell you, you've got to look at my sister. I, I, you should see the, how she lives and what she does. Right? I mean, yeah. this is the problem. Greed is hard to see in the mirror. See, I see it in you real easily. I see it in you. But it's hard to see it in me. And here is why. It's because greed hides itself from its victims. How often have you met someone who said, yes, I'm greedy, I admit it. I don't think I've ever met anybody in my entire life. I've never had anybody confess that to me. You know, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm really a greedy person. Never. Everything else, everything under the sun that you can think of, I've had people confess to me. I've never had anybody say, I'm a greedy person, please pray for me. What they say is, usually, greedy people... I'm a good money manager. I'm careful. I'm a saver. They say all kinds of things. And, and this is a subtle thing, folks. Greed is a very, very subtle thing that we really need to watch out for. There are all kinds of greed. I have seen, Pastor, I have seen greedy people. I am definitely not among them. Folks, it's almost impossible to see greed in the mirror. And Jesus goes on, the second half of verse 15. The second half, he says, man's, man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What is Jesus saying? We do not equal what we own. See, we don't equal what we own. Oh, yeah, okay, I get that. We intellectually get that, but we rarely emotionally get that. Here it's, we get it, here we don't. If someone, you know, think about this. Imagine somebody from outer space, they have this amazing telescope, and they're in another solar system. There's, you know, there's life, and they're, they're thinking, and they're looking at Earth, and, you know, this is a story. I'm just making this up, but I'm just saying, could you imagine? Uh, and they're watching us, and they're watching everybody on Earth. I think they would come to the conclusion that these Earthlings purchase and consume to live. I think they, that's what they'd say. They, you know, they make this, and then they spend this. They make it, 
and then they go to the mall. They make it, and immediately on the screens that they're looking at, the word Amazon appears. They go through this process of similar actions every single day. They ride the train, they get in the bus, they go to school, and then they go out, and most days they take stuff out of their wallets, and they exchange it for other stuff. And so it wouldn't take long for them to probably come to the conclusion that if these people stopped this pattern, they would probably die. See, it's easy to begin to think that we are the sum of our possessions. So Jesus, knowing this, he gets it. He tells this story in verse 16. Verse 16 says, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man. Who's a rich man? Well, somebody who has more than he needs. That's a rich man. Someone who has an abundance. Someone who has extra. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, usually this guy probably got a decent harvest. He, you know, he fed his family. He had some to sell at the market. He had some to save. Uh, you know, he's just kind of a normal farmer in those days. But one year, he's got this amazing crop. I mean, it is like tenfold. He, can't, he, doesn't, even, he doesn't even get it. He goes, well, wow. And he no longer has a little extra. He has a l- extra, extra, a lot of, he has a bumper crop. But here's the problem. His barns only hold a regular average crop. So the guy has this extra, extra, extra. And so the poor guy, the poor guy has a dilemma on his hands. And in verse 17, he says this, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I don't have enough room for my extra, extra, extra. And, you know, our hearts really go out to this poor guy who has all this extra, extra. Now, listen, there had to be a few people, I'm thinking about this, there had to be a few people who's listening to Jesus and who got it a little bit and are probably saying, oh, you don't know what to do with your extra, extra, extra. How about looking around in the culture that we live in right here among the desperately poor and needy and how about giving some of your extra, extra, extra away? But here's the problem. Greed is tough to see in the mirror. See, I can see it in him. Most listeners can see it in him, but greedy people think that when there is extra, you know who the extra is for? It's for me. And my lifestyle begins to run after my income. There's extra. Ooh, quick, get it. So when my house is full, what do we do? Well, we need to build a garage. Or we need to rent a storage shed. Anyway, back to the story. He comes up with a plan. He's a good thinker. This guy's smart. He's a, he's, a, he's a smart farmer, okay? He's very smart. And it says this in verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. Good plan, right? That's, that's a good plan. This guy, this guy should write a book. In fact, if he lived in 2020, he probably would. He would be on the cover of Money Magazine. See, here's a guy who was well off, was doing fine, but all of a sudden became rich because he had all this extra, extra, extra. Isn't this the guy that we in our culture want to be like? Isn't he the guy who runs the seminars? Why do these rich guys are running seminars for $69? I have no idea if they have so much money, why do they have to do that? But they do it. They run the seminars. Isn't this the guy who went chasing 
Don't we want to be like him? See, that's the goal. That's the dream. And in verse 19, he gives voice to his ultimate goal in life. There it is. It's verse 19. He says, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. He did the smart thing. You know what he did? He planned for the future. Here's the problem, though. He just didn't plan far enough out. He planned to take care of himself, but he just didn't plan to take care of himself far enough out. His fatal flaw was this. He assumed that since he had X amount of stuff, X amount of dollars, he assumed that he must have X amount of years left to his life. Because it just makes sense. I mean, that just makes sense. Apparently, my life is the equivalent of the sum of my possessions. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take real good care of myself. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to go to the gym three times, three times a week. And I'm going to make sure that nothing bad happens to me. See, he equaled what he owned. His possessions became the sum total of who he was. The abundance, the extra, was for him. His problem was not that he was rich. His problem was that he didn't know why he was rich. If we asked him the question that I asked at the beginning, why do you have so much? Why are you so rich? Why do you have more than you need? You know what his answer would have been? His answer would have been, well, I guess I'm so rich so that I'll have some later and my family will have it even later than that when I'm gone. See, he thought that he was rich because one day he might need it. What does it say? I have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Why are you so rich? Why are you so rich? Well, you say, I guess it's because one day I'll need it. Listen, if that's your response, it's a very natural response. Let me just say that right off the bat. It's a very natural response. He had a lot. He got a lot more than he planned for the future. Smart guy. The only problem was verse 20. Because in verse 20, we have God's assessment of him, which is much, much different. Because verse 20 says this, But God said to him, You fool. Fool. Really? This is the model. This is the guy running the seminars. He's the guy that everybody wants to be like. Fool? He planned for the future. No, 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 no. This guy is no fool. Jesus said, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And here's the question God asks. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Anybody? Anyone? Someone else will get what you have prepared for yourself. Someone else will get all that you acquired, not because you made a decision to be generous, not because, uh, you know, you just made any kind of a decision, but because you're dead. See, that, that was the deciding factor. Not for any other reason except for the fact that you died. 
You see, O oh wise farmer, just as you ultimately do not have control over the crops or if there are locusts or if there are droughts, in the same way, you have no control over the years given to you. And you have made the wrong assumptions. See, you assumed that you were the source of all the abundance. You assumed that all the extra was for you. You thought the abundance of stuff equated to an abundance of years. You fool. You thought you had it all figured out. You had nothing figured out. Nothing. And the moral of the story is summed up in verse 21. Verse 21 says this. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This is how it will be for everyone and anyone who simply stores up things for him or herself but is not rich toward God. Do you know what being rich towards God is here in this context? To be rich towards God here simply means to give to those who are lacking, to give to those who are in need. Physically, absolutely, spiritually, definitely. To be rich is to take our things and to put them into the things that God is interested in. That's what being rich towards God is. To be rich towards God is to take the extra we have, but we don't really need, and to put it, folks, listen, literally, into the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what he said a few verses later? You have to, you'll have to look at it. A few verses later, uh, it's the same chapter, Jesus. He said this. He said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, there are a lot of financially poor people in the world today. A lot. Uh, the, the per capita income of those in our area is in the, ni- the 90th percentile worldwide, if you look at it, the whole world. There are a lot of financially poor people in the world today. But listen, I'll tell you what. There are more people who are spiritually needy than financially impoverished. A a lot more. And folks, you need to know this. Financial poverty sometimes lasts for a lifetime, and that is very, very sad, and that is very, very tough. But spiritual poverty can last forever. And that, my friend, is disastrous. Disastrous. Well, what do I do? Well, or or what will happen if I do that? Um, Here's what he said uh, further down. You will be provided with purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. He was talking about giving to help those in need when we have more than we need. Folks, when we are blessed with more than we need, it's for the sake of someone in need. That's what Jesus was saying. See, this guy's problem was not that he was rich and that he had extra. His problem was that he didn't know why. He thought it was all for him. And he missed the opportunity to be rich towards God. The problem is not that the guy was rich. The problem was that the guy had stored up his riches for the future. The problem was that he thought it was all for him. And you know what? This wealthy guy, in this story that Jesus told, experienced total loss, total, complete 
lost. He lost everything he had in this world and everything he could have had in the next world. Someone else got everything he owned because he never became rich toward God. And he had nothing to show for it in, in this life or in the life to come. All because he never, ever realized that when I'm blessed with more than I need, it's for the sake of someone in need. Jesus said that when we take our extra and send it to places that are important to our Heavenly Father, it determines not how we get there, but how we are when we get there. It doesn't determine if we get there, but how life will be when we get there. I don't understand exactly how that's all going to work with, with uh, riches and, and with the crowns that the Scripture talks about that we win and, 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 and the riches towards God. I do know that it's going to impact us in heaven, though. Our faithfulness with our temporary wealth impacts how we will live there. That much I truly do know. And those who think the extra is for them are very short-sighted. See, the problem with this guy is that he never saw past this life, and he thought all the extra was for him, and when he died, he experienced a total loss. And he missed the opportunity to be rich towards God. He didn't see that when I'm blessed with more than I need, it's for the sake of someone who is in poverty, of someone who is spiritually naked and alone and in great need. It's not all about me. I remember when our oldest daughter, Caitlin, got married. Wedding planning. Okay, that, that was a unique experience for us for the first time. Uh, and I learned a lot of things, and there's a lot of surprises along the way. Perhaps the greatest surprise for me was the cost. That was really a shocker. I always knew that it was going to be expensive, especially if, if we were going to do what we decided we were going to do. We, we had to have some sort of reception here at the church because my daughter grew up in this church. I mean, this the, these are the people I loved her. These are the people that, you know, youth group, blah, blah, the whole thing. So we had to have something here, and then we had something uh, a little more intimate with family and just a few close friends after that. I knew it was going to be really, really expensive. Um, and you start off when you do wedding planning with, okay, we have this amount of money, that's it. Here it is, that's it. And then there's a little something here, and there's a little upgrade there, and pretty soon you realize that the, for the foreseeable future, an intimate dinner, you know, for Marion and I, was going to be a cozy table for two in the corner of Wendy's. I mean, we just, we just kind of knew that, right? And I had a lot of tension in my soul over the state of our finances. Well, almost immediately after the crying and the goodbyes were done from the wedding, for some reason I cried more than everybody else. I'm not sure exactly why, but maybe it has something to do with that. A friend of ours came up to us in deep financial distress, really deep distress, and I was listening to, to his situation, and I said to myself, oh boy, I hope it works out for him somehow. Wow, he's in a tough situation. I wish I could help, but we just got done with a wedding, you know? I'm going to pray for him. Marion and I have helped others in need before. But now we were in a different situation. It was like, you know, there was nothing left. Then I remembered a bank account that I had that I had opened up years before, after taking a financial seminar here, not the financial piece, but a different one that we had here many, many years ago. And I remember the guy standing up and saying, if you do not have a, an emergency fund, you're, you're crazy. You have got to have, you know, the emergency fund where uh, you lose your job, 
there's just a box of saltines in the, in the cupboard, you know, one roll of toilet paper, half a glass, uh, half a gallon of milk, and in the, that's it, that's all you Then you go to the emergency room. You don't touch it, you don't think about it, it's not for anything else. And God seemed to say to me, well, this is an emergency. Yeah, but it's not my emergency. <laughs> it's somebody else's. And he kept telling me that. So I said to Marianne, I think God's telling me this. You know, what do you think? And she said, yes, this is an emergency. And a funny thing happened when we released that money. It's not that I wasn't, you know, all of a sudden I had no concerns ever again about finances. But the oppression, the angst I was feeling almost completely faded. It was, it was, it was almost like magic. I think a release... And a peace from God is a byproduct of generosity. We needed, I knew that we needed to show God that we know this is his money. And it's not our money. And when I did that, I felt, I felt this wave of relief. It was almost like the, the money spell was, you know, the angst was broken. The, the, the spell was broken. You, uh, the, the subtle greed that was, you know, chained around me was broken. It freed me of my worries and my consumption. And I realized that when I am blessed with more than I need, it was for someone else who was truly in need. Someone, I read this one time, somebody said, give, save, and live on the rest. We have chased our income with our lifestyle. It's what makes our wants turn into needs. But generosity breaks the power of invisible greed that we cannot even see in the mirror. Do you know why you have more than you need? Because there's someone else who is in need. At 7 o'clock this morning, I was looking over my message, and my daily Bible verse came to me. And, you know, you get a little boom, and, and, and I looked at it. You know what the verse was? The verse was Hebrews 13, verse 16, said this. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Interesting verse, huh, for this morning? God considers doing good and sharing with others a sacrifice. Also translated in other places in Scripture, same word, an offering. Although it's, it's given to those in need, folks, i got to tell you, when we give that money, stuff, whatever, it's, it's, it's given to them, yes, but you know who it's really given to? It's given to God. We are giving it to God as, as an act of worship, as an act of sacrifice. Jesus Christ on the cross made the ultimate sacrifice when he gave not some off the top, when he gave everything, his very life for us. Do you know why? Because we were in such desperate need. Ephesians 5 says this, walk and, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Folks, when I am blessed with more than I need, it's for the sake of someone who is in need. This is a different worldview to view your finances. It's just a whole different worldview. If we don't adopt Jesus' idea of why I'm full of extra, 
then we are in danger of one day suffering total loss. When I am blessed with more than I need, it's for the sake of someone else who is in need. If God has blessed you, he wants you to share it with someone else who is in need right now. And you know what? If you don't know who's in need, ask God to open your eyes. Ask him to open your eyes. Invest in things that are promoting the gospel. Because if you don't, you will experience a total loss. And I don't want that for any of us. Thank you.